Welcome to The Scoop, the Southern California Underground Utility Partnership, where we talk about everything utilities with industry pros. Hear from the experts about breaking into the industry, learn from their experiences, and get the inside scoop. I'm your host, Ruben Murillo. What's The Scoop? Welcome to the Scoop Podcast. This morning, our special guest is a home team player from Elsinore Valley Municipal Water District, Jesse Ariano. Jesse serves as the wastewater operations manager, and on today's episode, Jesse will share his journey in the industry, his core responsibilities, and the essential functions of processing and treating wastewater. Good morning, Jesse. How's it going, man? Doing good. Good, man. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. I know you had a a long uh, trip ahead of you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All, what, 300 yards maybe or so? Yep. But uh, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate you doing this for us. So Absolutely. Thank all right, you for man. having me. Well, let's get into it, Jesse. Well, what's the scoop? How did you get in the industry, Jesse? How I got in the industry was kind of interesting. So I was 18 years old. I worked in a warehouse job and didn't like the work. Did that for roughly about a month or so right after high school and uh, went to a temp agency. They had told me, hey, you know, we have a job at the water district. I asked them, well, what do they do there? You know, and they said, oh, well, you'll be loading hoses. You'll be doing this and you'll be doing that. Right. I said, oh, OK, it sounds pretty good to me. You know, it was like a two dollar an hour pay increase from the warehouse job that I was currently working at. And yeah. so I was super excited, I'm like two bucks more. Heck yeah, you know, whatever, right? Minimum wages, I think, was around eight bucks or so. Show up Monday morning, I was super excited, and they told me to report to um, Fallbrook Public Utility District. Show up there Monday morning, very excited. Get there probably about an hour and a half early. Only car in the parking lot. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, excited, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I get there, go through all the orientation, all that stuff like that, and uh, meet with HR. And they say, you're going to the wastewater treatment plant. I said, what's that? Because I had no clue that at the time that these places existed or what they did. I never really thought about it. When, yeah. you, when you flush the toilet, you don't think about those things, yep. you know, unless you're in the industry. And I go to the wastewater treatment plant. First thing I say is, man, what's that smell? Right when you pull through the yeah. gate. The lead at the time starts explaining to me what, what's going on there. And I was super intrigued about how, why, and at the same time, too, kind of a little grossed out. Yeah. I just didn't know. But I was excited because it was like, hey, this is more money. You know, at the time, you know, um, what's called, I was 18 years old, you know. So, and I'm going into the facility. They explained everything to me. And um, I got in that way, right? It's worked there for about, about a year as far as a temp. And during the time as I was temping, they asked me, would you like to become an operator in training? I asked them, what's that? Being fresh out of high school, I didn't want to go back to school, Mm -hmm. you know? But at the same time too, I was making, you know, minimum wage, 10 bucks an hour. They said, do you want to become an operator in training? I said, well, you got to go back to school. Uh, You know, I just got out of high school. I really didn't want to go back to school. Yeah. They said, uh, well, the operators here, they make um, operator threes, they make an average of mid twenties. So I said, I'll go back to school. (laughs) So so I said, 20 bucks an hour, 25 bucks an hour. I says, oh, heck yeah. You know, I'm making 10 bucks an hour now. It's a lot more money, you know? Yeah. So I started my paperwork there, and then um, I was there for Fallbrook Public Utility for almost five years or so, and then I went to the city of San Bernardino. As I was there at Fallbrook, I started bringing my certifications up, testing and stuff like that, went for my grade one, passed, got my grade two, passed, and then I had taken my grade three, and then I had went to San Bernardino because there was a chance for basically working at a larger organization, mm-hmm. chance for advancement. Fallbrook Public Utility was a smaller agency, not a lot of opportunity for growth. A lot of the people there that are working at that facility, they had been there for a long time. They had no plans of leaving. Not a bad organization. A lot of the people that I worked with were good people, 
but it was just I wanted more in life. While I was there, prior to me leaving, uh, my first daughter, we found out my wife was pregnant. Um, so it was kind of one of those things, too, that kind of kicked me into gear a little bit yeah. higher, too, because one of those things where I wanted to make sure I was going to be able to provide for my family, right? Mm-hmm. Ended up going to the city of San Bernardino for, I don't know, I think it was like 10 cents more an hour. People told me, why are you leaving? This is a great organization, you know, and why are you going to leave? And there's, you know, you can be here forever, which I could have been, you know, and a lot of the people that I used to work with still work there. Yeah. Some of them retired, but decent organization, you know, good people and everything like that. But um, went there to the city of San Bernardino, same position, operator, 10 cents more an hour. And then within six months or so, they said, hey, we want you to become, uh, start doing uh, duties as a senior elite because the experience that I had at Fallbrook. And so I did that six months after that, after the, when I was doing those duties, they promoted me to a lead. So I was a lead, worked there for about another four, maybe four, four and a half years total. Yeah. And then I came here to Elsinore Valley. Been here at Elsinore Valley for October, it'll be 10 years. Started here as a superintendent. At any of that time, Jesse, like, uh, you know, back in Fallbrook, because I'm, I'm assuming Fallbrook is a, the double utility. It's got the freshwater side and it's got the wastewater side. At any time, did you ever think that you wanted to go over to the freshwater side or it was never even a, a thought or or, you know, nothing ever enticed you to make that transition? When I was at Fallbrook, I mean, I think, to be very honest with you as a temp, yeah. I was looking for any opportunity I could take. As a full-time, you know, uh, pension employee, right? Mm-hmm. I would have taken a freshwater job, yeah. collections job. I applied for a number of different jobs at, at that facility, uh, that agency, as well as other agencies. For me, the big thing for me for wastewater, it was kind of more interesting to me because I yeah. felt like I was, a con- I was always learning something, yeah. you know? And it was just kind of um, different. And uh, I remember I would go home and explain to people what I did and yeah. they'd be like, oh, that's gross. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but besides that, once I got into the field permanently, as far as position wise, I never, I never looked back. You know, yeah. I never thought to myself, I want to become a water treatment operator right. or distribution or things like that. You know, well, you were just happy there. Yep. That's, that's yeah. You found your happy place and stuck with it. It's cool. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I always say, you know, hats off to the people in the wastewater, the collections uh, department. I just something that I could never stomach. And even though I know <laughs> that a lot of times that the pay might be a little bit, <laughs> the, the, the different a little bit higher even on that side still did, couldn't entice me enough to want to ever go work on that side yeah. but again you know hats off to to you and the people that you know do wastewater you know something that super essential you know yeah no i appreciate that and i think every job that we do in this in the water industry is is as important as the other yeah you know? i think that when it comes to wastewater it's all it's also a mind thing you know when you don't yeah. work in it it's kind of like you think about it and you kind of gross yourself out when yeah realistically when you're doing it it's not as bad as you know you, you what your mind is thinking you yeah know? for sure so just Jesse, what's some of the training or education was necessary for even, I know you mentioned earlier about your grades, but um, maybe you can share some of the grades and some of the training that you had to acquire in order to get you where you are currently at now. Yeah, um, what I started doing while I was at Fallbrook, to get the actual OIT certificate, you have to take at least one class. You have to have three CEUs. And so I started attending night classes while I was working, and I started going to MSJC. Attended, started attending some of those classes, attended the water, freshwater, wastewater, different stuff like that basic mathematics and things like that. The classes that I had to do were mainly all wastewater related. Yeah. Um, so I ended up doing the water technology program, did that within, I don't know, I think it was a couple of years or however long it took yeah. me to attend all the classes. As time went on, you know, to get the certification 
experience too is you have to have so many CEUs to for each each exam to to take them as well as experience. Yeah. So when I did that, I was just mainly attending the college uh, the college courses at MSJC. So. So Jesse, if I can ask you, how old are you? I'm 36. Okay. Yeah. I'm assuming the time that you spent, you've moved up, you know, fairly quick at a pretty young age. You know mm-hmm. what I mean to get where you're at. So it says a lot about your character of the work and the time and you know the class and the, and the effort that you put in to get where you're at. So for me, I think the biggest thing was being 18 and what kicked me into high gear is becoming a father. Yeah. And knowing that I grew up myself with, you know, uh, 10 siblings. So growing up with nothing and saying to myself, hey, I want to do something, you know, different. I want to give my kids a a better life. I want to make sure that I give myself a better life, you know. And that's kind of what kicked me into high gear. And I try to set goals for myself when I was starting in the industry and say, you know, to myself, by the time I'm this age, I want to be at, you know, this certification and try to, you know, constantly look for that goal and push. And then in the same process, too, is learning the industry, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's not just about taking the certifications and passing them. It's about you know, knowing the job and understanding it and dealing with people and how to handle people and how to how to handle tough situations yeah. in the process with people, everything, you know. So for me, that's that was one of the big motivators for me. So what is a wastewater operations manager core responsibility? So what are some of your core responsibilities? Oh, we can be here all day. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Just some of your basics, some of the... <laughs> Core responsibility would be ultimately protecting the environment, ensuring that all the water that we produce from our facilities are uh, not putting the environment into into a worse spot than what we were. So we basically what we do is we take some of the dirtiest water, turn it into extremely clean. You know, comparable to uh, it's kind of hard to say when I say comparable to drinking water, but as far as when you look at color, uh, because there are standards you have to different standards you have to meet for drinking water and things mm-hmm. like that. But as far as color uh, clarity and things like that, we take some of the dirtiest water and we turn it into you know almost drinking water standards. Yeah. Um, so we want to make sure that we're protecting the environment. We're being mindful of you know the public. Mm-hmm. So we're protecting public health. We're being uh, mindful of our spending as far as maintaining facilities and stuff like that, uh, maintaining all the regulations that the state puts in place, a number of different other things. I mean, as far as, you know, that goes, I mean, uh, you know, I do a lot of different things, but yeah. But yeah. Jesse, so how many wastewater treatment facilities do you oversee the function and operation of? Right now, we currently have three wastewater treatment plants, all tertiary standard uh, treated water. Our largest plant that we have here is directly behind our main office here. So it's an 8MGD facility. We are expanding. We're in the middle of an expansion. So uh, we've selected a contractor to move forward with our expansion for the facility. We'll be expanding to 12MGD. But um, when I say tertiary water, ultimately what we're doing is we're treating it to Title 22 standards. So it's a filtration process that we're we're doing and disinfection. So you can do it for Title 22. It allows you to do for beneficial reuse. So it could be for irrigation. In this case, for regional, the facility is rated for 8 MGD. Uh, we see roughly about 6 MGD a day, and we send about 5.5 million gallons a day of that treated effluent to the lake mm-hmm. uh, for beneficial reuse there. So the other half million gallons a day that we do treat, it goes to wetlands. So that's our regional facility. The other two facilities is our horse thief wastewater treatment plant, which is also in the middle of an expansion, uh, which is a 0.8 MGD facility, as well as our railroad water facility that is a uh, 1.1 MGD facility so three wastewater treatment facilities okay cool so for each one of those the uh, treatment type or process for each of those facilities um, is that the name of it or is that a process like tertiary like is, or am I, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. uh, tertiary is that a process is that like a, is that what you would call it or is that a part of the process like the end process of the whole process 
facilities, when I say tertiary treated water, yeah. they're secondary prior to tertiary. So secondary water, you'll see ocean discharge facilities that will treat to secondary standards and they'll discharge directly to the ocean, just mainly because they're close to the ocean. There may not be a beneficial reuse for reclaimed water. They'll discharge into the ocean. So it's basically small drop in the bucket compared to the ocean. Tertiary water, uh, so the, the process goes primary. So what happens is we're removing a lot of the larger debris, solids, things like that, mm-hmm. breaking down the BOD. But BOD is biochemical oxygen demand. So basically, it's everything that could be harmful to the environment. Everything as far as urine, you know, the solid material, anything you flush down the toilet that has made it past the larger debris as far as the removal process. So we break that down. We'll add air, convert it to a less harmful compound, and then we go through a further co- a conversion to different conversion factors. So basically what happens is we'll add air, we'll turn the ammonia, which is NH3, NH4, turns it into nitrite, and which is not harmful to the to the environment. Well, yeah. it's also pretty is algae. So when we discharge to a lake, we want to make sure we break that down even more. So what happens is being that we discharge here at the regional facility, we want to remove that algae producing compound because the lake, the longer it sits in the, in the sun, it's going to produce algae and in that nobody wants to see it, right? right? Especially in the lake. So it takes oxygen from the lake, depletes oxygen, basically potentially kill fish, things like that, right? Yep. So we'll convert it past that. We'll do phosphorus removal. So phosphorus, you'll see it in, you know, a lot of these different facilities, every facility around us, they don't go to that treatment standard, mainly because where they're discharging. Uh, they have different uh, discharge requirements. I kind of went off a little bit subject there because oh, I went to, you know, primary yeah. and whatever yeah, else, yeah. but the secondary process of the aeration process, yeah. right? Um, that's the secondary process. And then we're going into the uh, secondary clarifiers, removing all that uh, those compounds like yeah. that, like I'm saying, and then going to the actual filters. So uh, tertiary filters. Okay. So that's tertiary treatment and then disinfection. Okay. Disinfection okay. is made by either here at this facility at regional, we are doing UV disinfection okay. and the other two facilities are or sodium hypochlorite, so uh, bleach, basically. The process that you just explained, is that a uh, more traditional process, or would you say that's the uh, a more modern process, or is there is it a com- combination of the, the two? So, I mean, ultimately, it all depends on where you're at, yeah. lo- location where you're at. But, yes, the... the, the the different treatment standards as far as the treatment processes, the primary, secondary, tertiary, and disinfection, that's your, that's your, your typical conventional, right? Uh, what you'll see in these facilities. If you go past that, you go past that, you're looking at either IPR or DPR. So what IPR is indirect potable reuse or DPR is direct potable reuse. So you're basically treating to a further standard, you're turning into drinking water standards. You It is basically drinking water at that point. But short answer is yes, that's traditional basically. Okay. Unless you're by an ocean or yeah. there's not a beneficial reuse for the water. San Diego, a lot of the facilities there, they're right by the ocean. Uh, they may not need that water for reclaim purposes, or they may they may not need it, or Orange County, certain areas yeah. like that, some places, but yeah. So Jesse, I'm sure there are many issues associated with wastewater treatment, including environmental concerns and processes. Are there recent innovations and improvements in modern treatment methods that you see could make a difference? So there are. One of the treatment processes that we're going to with the expansion that I mentioned earlier is we're going to what's called MBR. So it's a membrane bioreactor treatment process. What happens there is it's a lot more modern, smaller in footprint size, but it is a lot more expensive, can be a lot more expensive, but you don't need the actual lot size to treat all that all that flow, right? Mm-hmm. The membrane bioreactors, what happens is right now what we submit, what we discharge from our facility 
when we, what we look at is water that we will say NTU, nephilometric turbidity units. This facility here, we're typically in the range of 0 0.4, 0 0.3 in that in that range. So that's four tenths, three tenths of a milligram per liter of NTU. When it comes into our facility, we're looking in the hundreds, you know, even greater. So we're removing 99.9% .9 of the solids out of, out of the actual uh, treatment process. Well, with the MBR process, earlier I was mentioning you have primary, secondary, tertiary, and disinfection. The MBR process, what it does is it it's a combination of the secondary process and tertiary process. So you don't need a filters. It'll, it acts as a filter ultimately. The water that it produces is in the range of about 0.2 NTU or lower on average. So it's a lot cleaner. It's a lot easier to, I would say, maintain, but there's a lot more chemicals it utilizes and things like that for cleaning and uh, maintaining the actual process. So, but Is that what makes it more, more expensive, Jesse, like the chemicals or the equipment or or maybe even the, the power that it's using? Or, or is it a combination of all those things what makes it more expensive? It's a combination of all of it. I mean, ultimately, because you're using chemicals for uh, CIPs, maintenance cleans, and things like that. It's also, too, the actual technology itself can be pricey. Current modern technology is you have concrete basins. Mm -hmm. And you have concrete basins with diffusers and or aerators, things like that, versus this. You have a, an actual, the best way to kind of describe it is if you had a, a bunch of spaghetti strands mm -hmm. and you put it in solid material that is, you know, with TSS of the range of 10,000 to 15,000 milligrams per liter. You put that spaghetti strand with extremely tiny holes. I think they're down to two micron uh, size holes and they pull everything out uh, as far as the water. Everything as far as the solid material stays behind. That material itself, that material for them to uh, manufactured is kind of pricey as well as the chemical and yeah. the the electricity the equipment that goes with it so it can be a little bit pricier so yeah, yeah. jesse what are some other challenges uh, currently facing wastewater treatment facilities and how can uh, professionals in this field step up to find solutions the, the biggest thing that i see in the wastewater industry is mainly new people in the field the industry, we don't have a lot of people coming into the field just because mainly people kind of get grossed out when it comes to wastewater or there may not be that much interest. And especially right now, there's a lot of work out there in the industry and in, in throughout every industry, there's a lot of work out there. That's what we see a lot is a lot of not getting enough people with gaining right. interest, you know, mainly tra also training too. What we'll see is a lot of people that come into the to these industries, they are coming to this field to take a test and pass it yeah. rather than, you know, taking the test, passing it, understanding what they're doing and being good at what they do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, so they're coming in and they're just, you know, hey, let me climb the ladder as fast as possible. But they're not learning the actual job in the process. That's what I see a lot. And in, I mean, there's other concerns that we do have, you know, obviously budgetary. I mean, a lot of stuff we do costs a lot of money and nobody wants to raise rates. Right. Mm -hmm. So whenever we need to perform different functions throughout the facilities, new technology, things like that, it takes a long, it's a long process to go through it. Um, luckily here at this agency, they've been really, really good. Um, yeah. Very understanding management, board of directors, they've all been very well as far as understanding what we need to, what we need to do to move forward and get to the new, next step as far as treatment processes and things like that with expansion versus other facilities I've been at. I've worked at some facilities that were built in the 50s and they didn't want to upgrade technology mm -hmm. just mainly because there was no funding yeah. and they came from uh, severely disadvantaged communities, you know, yeah. um, just where they were at. But uh, yeah, so there's there's a number of different things there. I'm sure I missed a whole bunch of other areas that we're, you know, yeah. we're, we're doing as well as as well as obviously the regulatory, you know, impacts that we mm -hmm. see. So, but. Yeah. So what, what would you say would be the most important now, like operational expertise or improve equipment? I would say mainly because as we're growing, it's operational expertise. 
And all the staff we have back there, they're all, they all do a really good job. They're learning. They're always looking to learn, right? It's hard, I mean, honestly, to say, you know, just operational expertise because it's also could be a combination of both. But, yeah, I would say mainly operational expertise because as we grow, there's more need for qualified individuals to fill those positions and things like that. Jesse, you mentioned earlier that you were uh, offered the operator and training program. Is that something that uh, your section here, the wastewater section, offers a position like this here? And if so, where do you guys go or where do you guys uh, fly that, you know, that that position or something where people who are interested could could go to? Yeah, absolutely. So um, here at the agency here, we do offer offer an operator and training program through MSJC as well as San Bernardino Valley College. Started doing that a number of years back. I think it was around... 2016, 2017, mainly to try to get qualified individuals mm-hmm. and things like that out. Lately, it's been a challenge mainly because nobody wants to come in and work for free, mm-hmm. you know, right? Because typically, uh, OIT program, you're coming in and you're volunteering. You got to volunteer for 1,800 hours to get your grade one certification or be eligible to get your grade one certification. So we do offer that. If there is interest, you can reach out to the agency here. You can reach out to one of the superintendents here, Jennifer Aguirre or Miguel Gutierrez, and they can help you guys out there as well as through the college. Uh, we will be flying some positions here for OIT through operator one through three. We uh, had a s- evaluation done as well as organizational assessment here that we mm-hmm. just recently did. Ultimately with the all the additional piece of equipment and treatment process, we were able to show that we needed more people. District approved two additional positions. We should be flying those within the next, say, uh, I don't know, say a month or so, and that'll be on our district website. Yeah. So, and then the following budget year, we'll be, we'll be flying an, addi- an additional position. So that'll be in wastewater treatment. So, Jesse, before this year, you know, all the rain we've had, all the, the, the big rain events, you know, it seems like California, we were in a pretty bad drought. Would you say that this has been one of the biggest factors or drivers for the importance of, of wastewater? I think it's it's kind of a, a twofold, right? So mm-hmm. anywhere in California, there's there there's a water shortage, right? Uh, mainly, it's there's a storage challenge that many agencies have of providing, you know, fresh water. The biggest driving force is as far as expansion is mainly the building that's coming in. Elsinore here, we're roughly 30%, 35% built out. It's one of the lowest built out areas in the Riverside County. That's mainly what we're seeing as far as when it comes to the the growth here. But when it comes to as far as what we're seeing with the conservation, it's kind of interesting because facilities, wastewater treatment facilities are designed. Um, when I when I say when I said earlier, I said BOD. Every facility is designed to treat X amount of BOD, right? With water conservation, that brings the actual, the amount of water that comes into the facility or wastewater that comes into the facility down. So it reduces the amount of flow that we're actually treating. But the strength of the wastewater is much higher because people are conserving which you know which is great Uh, not so great for the wastewater treatment facilities so when we're designed to treat a bod of 300 we're seeing 350 400 which then makes it more challenging for our, our equipment to meet those regulations mainly because the design when we were originally built so Jesse, you mentioned earlier too that the steps that you guys are taking to uh, treat the water was pretty close to being able to be consumed. So toilet to tap, do you know how many toilet, steps? We don't we don't use those words toilet to tap here. That's the, the, yeah. that's, what's, that's the that's what scares everybody yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you, do you know how many steps there are in processing wastewater to make it drinkable? And then if if so, how far are we to? You know, you see this in Orange County where they they did something like this, and I think the mayor is out there and he took a big sip of the the glass of water that had been treated. I'll just kind of give you guys a little bit of background. I'm sure you guys have heard heard this plenty of times before, or and if you haven't, I hate to ruin your day, but <laughs> uh, California and the world, there is no new drinking water. So the water that we drink every single day has been through somebody's gut, has 
been through a dinosaur or mm-hmm. whatever else. So at some point we have, that water has been through, been treated and been recycled yeah. one way or the other, right? So there's no new drinking water. So I hate to ruin it for you guys. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I've actually heard this too. And I've heard the dinosaur part, like at one point in time, that was water that was consumed by a dinosaur yep. that you're drinking now. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. I always tell the freshwater guys when they say, oh, wastewater, you know, that's, that's gross. This is a, hey, all the water we're drinking, we're drinking dinosaur piss there. At one time it was dinosaur piss. So. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, funny. but uh, as far as the, getting it to drinking water standards, so the water we produce here is really clean, but there are different uh, steps we have to take because mm-hmm. there are different compounds we have to remove. What we are looking at is in our master plan for our facilities here, we are looking at roughly, I think it's 2030 of doing a potential IPR plant. Uh, earlier I said IPR and it's indirect potable reuse. So what ends up happening is it goes through the secondary treatment process, goes through additional treatment process. So it can be RO, uh, so reverse osmosis or microfiltration or both, and then disinfection. What ends up happening there is we will end up indirect potable reuse. We will end up injecting it to the well, holding it into a, in a basin for a extended period of time. So depending on where we're approved as far as how long we can consume it. So we'll discharge it into a, a well, reservoir, whatever it may be, whatever we're approved to do. And it has to hold, it has to stay in there for roughly three months, 90 days before it's consumed. In 2030, we're looking at uh, kicking off a, an actual IPR plant here. At that point, we will look at um, trying to go into construction for that. So here at the regional wow. facility. So. Um, that's the biggest thing for us here in California is that we're yeah. seeing across the number of agencies. We're seeing challenges with getting potable water. Not a lot of snow, not a lot of rain, mm-hmm. things like that. Not a lot of new sources of water. Agencies around us, all of our sister agencies are looking at doing IPR, DPR. Some have been successful, such as Orange County, as you mentioned. So Orange County, um, they've been doing it for quite some time. Yeah. So they'll take a lot of the water, the as far as the water that City of Riverside, City of San Bernardino, those agencies uh, send down the Santa Ana River, and mm-hmm. they will end up treating that water to drinking water standards. Yeah. So they've been doing it for close to 20 years. I want to say there's another agency out there that's been doing it for a long time as well, but City of San Diego just started their, their pilot project roughly a year, year and a half ago, and at a small scale, 1 million gallons a day, and they've been very successful. So yeah. they're expanding their wastewater treatment facilities as, as far as their IPR portion, and they are treating to drinking water standards now. Oh, wow. So that's what you're seeing across California now. Yeah. So when I, earlier when you said toilet to tap, that's why I was like, nope, we don't use those yeah. words. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's more people away. It's clickbait so that, yeah. you know. Well, you think of the image, right? You think oh, yeah. of, you know, a toilet, and on the toilet there's a tap, you know, and it's like, ah, uh, you know, like <laughs> just you know, the image alone. It's right? funny, here in our hallway we have, a, you know, they put one of those drinking water uh, fountains, you know, where you can f- the bottle fill fountain, but attached to that wall, just on the other side is a, a restroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I'm si- I set my bottle there, and as it's filling, somebody's in that bathroom, and they flush, and the and the water, and it slows down, and oh, you know, it's pulling water to flush <laughs> the yeah. toilet. I don't know why, but it grosses me out. I know there is no connection. It's just the water that's being used to flush the toilet. Yeah, yeah. And that stream that's filling my bottle slows way down in the sound of the <laughs> toilet flushing. It makes, you know, like, yeah, it, it's all bad. I'm going. They picked the worst spot to put that filler station. Yeah. But, uh, Mind uh, over matter, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that's why I'm in freshwater and I can't yeah. <laughs> wastewater collections. Jesse, how about this? What is the biggest problem that you or your team have solved in the past years? I think there's a lot of, lot of challenges that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, but I would say most challenging in the past year, a year or two, dealing with construction and keeping the facility online. 
while yeah. working with contractors, shutting processes down. For the expansion project. Yeah, we had our upgrades project and then we were moving into the expansion. Mm-hmm. When that happens, we have to shut processes down and we have to bypass. Well, during that time, we have to maintain treatment capacity, you know, everything like that, you know, right? Because in the wastewater treatment process, what's very different to freshwater is we have microorganisms in the water. They're alive. They're just like human beings. They're a little tiny, little tiny. You can't see them. You, you can only see them under a microscope. Just like human beings, as I said, you know, when there you take away air, they don't live just like us. Yeah. So we, we have to be very careful how long we shut processes down, bypass, or we reduce the capacity and still meet our discharge requirements. The biggest thing we had was during our upgrades portion, we had to completely go off Edison power in preparation of the expansion. And mainly what ended up happening was power feed source that goes to one of our substations fed two separate substations. So we had to break that connection. And for us to do that, we had to bring in generator power. Each time that the contractor had to go in and connect generator power, we had to shut everything down yeah. for a, you know a duration of time, depending on you know whatever it may have been. And we had to come down, come sit down and, and discuss each process to say, this process can be shut down for this many hours, this many hours, and, and so and such right and prepare for catastrophic failure because yeah. i've always been trained that you know the first thing you do is when you do a job you you do a plan you mm-hmm. do a job plan right mm-hmm. you prepare for it right you look for the unknowns but no matter how much you prepare there's always that stuff you didn't you didn't plan for you may have overseen or whatever yeah. right mainly that for us the the biggest thing that we we had was that well the biggest challenge that we dealt with was having our disinfection and keeping the plant online. Well, in the process of us doing that, we had a separate generator on our UV disinfection. We had one of the actual the actual feeders that came from the actual generators shut down because they had the actual setting on the actual breaker set too low. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't figure out what was going on. For me, that's number one because one, working for an agency like this and being a, being a legally responsible official, CPL, right? State Water Resource Control Board can come take my license if I'm doing something uh, negligent, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why, you know, I always try to prepare and prepare myself to make sure that, you know, we're looking at every job we do and, you know, dotting every I, crossing every T, trying to prepare ourselves. But can going to be scary because, you know, the, they can take away your license, take away my livelihood, can even go to jail if yeah. I'm doing something negligent. So it's important we're always watching what we're doing. But in that process of the UV, one of the actual channels failing was definitely really, really scary. And, you know, um, as far as seeing that happen, but um, our staff out there, they responded extremely fast, diverted flow to another channel, shut everything down, had to deal with the actual findings as well as reporting to the agencies so they, they, as far as the State Water Resources Control Board. So yeah. I'd say it's probably one of the bigger ones. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we've dealt with with construction and, you know, everyday day-to-day yeah. stuff, you know, but yeah. What has fundamentally changed about uh, your work and what you do from when you started and then all the way until now? When I originally started, one, it was a new role for me, you know, mm-hmm. so that was definitely new. Coming to a new agency, was, it was new, but learning the facility, trying to learn the staff and, you know, make a home, right? Mm-hmm. We weren't in construction, so I had the ability to kind of learn, you know, who the staff were, the agency, everything like that. It was a little bit different. Now we're in construction and, you know, trying to handle our normal day-to-day jobs as well as respond to construction as far as construction needs, as well as everything else that's going on with, with, the, with the district, you mm-hmm. know, right? We're going through a major uh, asset management program, yeah. so trying to trying to deal with that, as well as everything else that comes down mm-hmm. the line. So I think as far as what's the biggest thing that's changed is growth. Yeah. Um, the constant um, 
changing daily um, needs for the agency, you know, right? And uh, mainly because, mainly construction, honestly, because they were kind of getting pulled in every direction, you know, like I said, uh, you know, some of the biggest projects that the agency right now is dealing with is, you know, wastewater projects. Yeah. The expansion project that was just approved was $240 million. So that's a big price tag. That's the biggest project this agency has seen for ever. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, we're also dealing with Horse Thief, roughly $30 million expansion. And so all that stuff like that is kind of unknowns that we, a lot of people haven't dealt with, including myself, mm-hmm. you know, so coming to this agency was definitely a learning process. Right. And then, I mean, honestly, it was, it's been good. I've been very happy here because mainly it's, you get the support you need with mm-hmm. the, all the stuff as far as expansions. You know, we have a, a very talented team from our engineering group to management and everything like that to the field staff. I mean, yeah. everybody's, you know, well-trained and things like that. So I'd say mainly that's the biggest thing that I've seen as far as the big changes, yeah. all the, the needs for construction, everything like that. So Jesse, is this the biggest uh, organization you've been a part of since you've started? Like each time that you moved, I know you, you know, your position, you outgrew the position that you were at. And then did you also outgrow the agencies as well? Like were those also bigger each time you moved on? As far as agency size, no. The city of San Bernardino was massive organization. So it was, uh, I guess, massive in my eyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but city of San Bernardino, much larger facility. So okay. their their treatment capacity was 33 MGD, which is larger than all three facilities put together that we have here. Oh, wow. A lot more operators, a lot more staff, dedicated staff to the treatment plant. So very different, different organization, different yeah. mind scope. Fallbrook was I mean, much smaller than this organization. As far as position wise, yes. This is the highest I've been at any organization. Yes. What is on the horizon when it comes to um, uh, newest innovations that you've seen in the industry? I would say the the biggest thing is mainly the IPR, DPR portions, turning that wastewater, that dirty water, and turning into drinking water. You know, as much as I said earlier, oh, we currently right now, it's almost drinking water standards. Yeah. It's not there yet, right? right? But the water quality is it's good. Getting to that point and being able to produce drinking water from what we're, what we're doing, it's you know, I think to me, that's that's a that's a big thing. What do you wish everyone understood about your job or even just about wastewater? Like, you know, what you guys what you guys do? I would say the importance of it and what we do, the value of it. You know, we're protecting the you know the environment, you know, and not only that, it goes into so many different things as far as protecting the environment. We're mm-hmm. protecting, you know, freshwater sources, you know, mm-hmm. groundwater, you know, all the, all the different stuff like that. And we're making the environment better. We're just basically doing what Mother Nature is doing, but in a much faster pace, you know, and then also, too, it's not as bad as what you think. Think it is you know right. so <laughs> yeah. i think you're you're absolutely right i always think about you know wastewater is the uh, like the underdog or the unspoken the hero you know that you know people talk about and mm-hmm. stuff like that you know because most people that we deal with you know we deal with on, on the freshwater side we take customer calls and, you know we we deal with you know low pressure calls water quality you know uh, leaks and all that good stuff wastewater is not even a second thought for most customers you know they turn their tap on and that's it and nobody ever thinks about where that water where is going and how it's being treated that's never even a second thought and if you ask them they're just stuck you know so and if you ask somebody even just a, your regular customer they'll point to a reservoir this is where the water comes from but again when you talk about wastewater they're absolutely clueless they're just like well it goes to waste so what do you consider the most important when investing in the future for wastewater I would say investing people, you know, that's the most important thing to me. And I think probably should be for everybody. I mean, because just as valuable as every every piece of equipment that we have, whether it's a backhoe, a 
pickup truck or a piece of equipment out there, we have to have qualified individuals to operate those. Investing in those people as far as give them the education, giving them the platform to learn and become what they want to become, you know, as far as whether they want to become a supervisor, uh, be an operator one, two, three, or a heavy equipment operator, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, mm-hmm. you know, investing in those people to make sure that, you know, we're getting them to where they need to be. Passing on that knowledge. Yep. Jesse, what is the best advice you have for someone looking to get in the, in the industry or in a career? I'd say one is you got to love what you do. Sometimes you kind of uh, get into this, you can get into this field and not know what you're getting into, mm-hmm. you know, and I had this conversation with my daughter last night. She's 17. When I first started out, you know, when I was 18, I didn't think, hey, I'm going to be a wastewater operator. I'm going to be a, my kids, they call me the sewer man. So, <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, I didn't think I was going to do that. Right. But sometimes things change right in life. But the biggest thing is be happy in what you're doing. You know, as long as you're able to have a good career, you know, treat people right and, you know, be able to provide for your family and uh, as well as provide a valuable type of job or things like that, you yeah. know, make sure you're happy. Obviously there's money that comes with it too, because, you know, just happiness, you can't pay the bills of happiness, right? Right. right. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, there's a combination of that. So, but uh, I'd say that, and then it's also getting into the field is do the schooling as boring as it may sound to a lot of people or interesting as it may sound to people, do the schooling, do the certifications that you need to do, you know, learn as much as you can. Yeah. Get with the, the guys that have been in the field for a long time and, you know, gain as much of that knowledge as you can because you never know when Ruben's going to retire. You, yeah. know, you never know when whoever's going to retire. You want to gain that knowledge from them and, you know, what they have is valuable, you know, mm-hmm. and it'll help you out for years. And Jesse, this next uh, piece is called the inside scoop. Uh-oh. So, yeah, these questions <laughs> are a little bit more easy going and lighthearted, man, just to just to break the ice and people get to know you. So um, these can be professional or personal, these questions that I ask. So, Jesse, what is one of the best things you look forward to hearing at work? Or meeting compliance. We're not having any challenges in the treatment plant, in the different departments as far as collections, wastewater treatment. We're not having any challenges there. Everybody's doing well. What is your biggest pet peeve? I have a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, honestly, and you could probably ask anybody, any of the staff back there in, in, the, in the plants, collections, probably housekeeping. Yeah. drives me nuts. And um, when I see things that people leave behind, whether it's at my own house, whether it's you know different facilities, it drives me insane. And whenever I go to other facilities, the first thing I look at is how's their housekeeping, right? Because yeah. that says a lot about an organization. You know, mm-hmm. if you take pride in what you do mm-hmm. and your, your facility is going to be clean, you know, your facility is going to be in orderly fashion, right? Mm-hmm. For me, I'd say housekeeping. Yeah. yeah. Did, that, did that come from anywhere? No. I think um, for me, starting out in the uh, water industry, one of the guys who trained me he would always tell me he says jesse when you come to somewhere whether it's every single day in your life home or workplace always leave the place better off than what it is right he says even if the place itself is in good orderly fashion clean Mm. or whatever it may be make it better somehow right whether it means you're rolling up a hose you picking this up or you doing that a lot of times people won't notice it but after time goes on those all those little things add up to a lot and at the time I'm thinking, man, this guy's just, you know, give me a hard time or whatever else. Yeah. Because to be very honest, this guy, he said in a lot more colorful words. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> which we usually do yeah, out in the field. Right. Yeah. <laughs> For me, that was that was the biggest thing. And learning that and, you know, I kind of try to take that with me throughout my career, you know, and I try to pass that on, you know, and it's true. You know, you leave the place better off than what it is. And whether it means it's cleaning a facility, whether it means yeah. it's you're your helping train, train an employee, whether mm-hmm. it means you're improving processes, whatever it may be. But yeah. Yeah. So do you have a daily ritual that is necessary for you to begin your day? Daily ritual. You doing some yoga or anything like that before you leave the house? <laughs> yeah. even, if I, even if I did, I wouldn't tell you. 
he wouldn't arm me with that no, kind of no, information. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not um, a good idea. For, for me, I, I, I don't have necessarily a daily ritual. It's just I think come in and I just get straight to work. You know, yeah. it's just I, you know, I don't have a necessarily ritual. But yeah, I got you. All right, what is an accomplishment that you're most proud of, Jesse? I'd have to say my family. Seeing you know from where you know I came from as far as not having anything to you know watching my kids grow and being able to mm-hmm. provide for them and give them a better life. Yeah. And so for me, that's biggest accomplishment, you know, and uh, and it's still trying to grow and grow and grow, you know, to, to give them that life. Um, but yeah. What personality trait that you possess has gotten you in the most trouble? I shouldn't say this, but <laughs> in the past, I've worked with people that um, were my supervisors and things like that, lead or whatever it may have been. Mm-hmm. And I've always had a challenge with people who don't understand their job. That's kind of why earlier when I was talking about passing certifications, knowing your job, I've always had a challenge with people not truly learning their job and understanding it you know right for me I mean, i'm very obvious when i see that i think that's kind of i've butted heads with people in the past as far as uh, my supervisors and things like that and not here at this organization so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh what's called um yeah working working at a few other agencies and things like that and uh, dealing with people that were i felt knew way less than what i knew and it's going to happen you know yeah. it's going to happen as far as that goes but when you don't understand the basics of your job function that's really difficult for me at least but yeah, yeah. a lot of people are going to listen to this interview and be like that guy don't know what he's talking about <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay. what did you wish to become when you were a child my biggest thing was you know get through high school you know yeah. I never really you know kind of had a you know idea of you know being a firefighter or being a cop or anything like yeah. that I never it's just kind of like you know hey you're going to become an adult and you know whatever never yeah. had really anything really planned you know yeah and that's kind of where I was saying, you know, for me with my kids, I try to change that mindset. You and know, still right. Yeah. Yep. I couldn't agree with you more. It's funny thing is, I guess it's just the way that, you know, some of us are brought up. But I was that same way, too, where it was just like get through, get out of your house, you know, move out, get on your you're on your own and, you know, grow up. That's it. That's the only thing that I've ever thought of, you know, until I met my wife and, you know, we ended up having kids and she's completely different. She went to college and all that stuff. So we instilled that in our kids at a very young age, mm-hmm. like to have some kind of purpose, like move through school with purpose, like not just to finish high school but to continue you know so i feel that same way too when people ask that i'm like hey i didn't i didn't yeah. I don't know i thought of like just moving out of the house like and finding work like that was it oh yeah absolutely i think the mindset is very different and i think you hit the nail right on the head you know generations were a little bit different mm-hmm. when, you know me growing up my dad he had a fifth grade education level you know came yeah. from mexico you know and uh that's as far as he went so yeah. it was like getting to high school was a big thing mm-hmm. you know right you know for us it was like okay well we need to do better right yeah. we need to show our kids that you know not only or they need to do better, but we're also going to do better. And so both me and my wife, same thing, you know, we at a very young age, you guys need to go to college, mm-hmm. you guys need to do this, you know, and not only go to college, but do something that's going to be meaningful, right? Yeah. Because a lot of people go to school to get an education, they can't do anything with it, right? Yeah. For us, you know, it was like, well, not only they're gonna, we're going to do that, but we're going to show them in the process. My wife, she just finished school. She's going back to school. So while they're doing school, she's also showing them, well, I, mm-hmm. same thing with me, you know. And yeah. so it's we're, we're leading by example. You exactly, know? yeah. So, uh, but yeah. Yeah, and it's never too late. Who has been your most favorite or best mentor throughout your career? I would say the one that I probably learned the most from as far as pushing me to learn the things as far as construction projects and, you know, pushing to go to a different level was my previous manager that was here at this agency. And Mm -hmm. that's actually how I ended up coming here at this agency. So, but uh, it would be Dennis McBride. But um, I think that would, that would be it, you know, as far as when it comes to that, because I mean, for coming here to this agency, I worked with him at the city of San Bernardino. He came here uh, roughly two or three months before I did. And I liked him. He was definitely very knowledgeable. A lot of people either loved him or hated him. You know, there was no in 
between, you know, yeah. and uh, people who, who love him, they have a lot of positive things to say about him. A lot of people who hate him, they, they absolutely hate him. He's you black know? and white. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have that same issue. Yeah. So I, I get it 100%. And for me, that was easy for me because yeah. black and white is easy because I know where I can be, where I, where I can't be, you know, right? I, there's no hidden agenda. Right? You'll know immediately exactly where yep. you shouldn't be or uh-huh. what you shouldn't be doing. Yep. Yeah. And sometimes dealing with black and white, it's a good thing and a bad thing because mm-hmm. it's uh, can be a difficult personality trait to deal with, but you also know where you can't be, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, don't mess around here, you know, because mm-hmm. you know what's going to happen, you know? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've learned a lot from every supervisor manager that I've ever worked for, you know, yeah. and both good and bad. That's funny. You, you mentioned just now you learn from good and bad. I always tell people, I think I've taken most from the bad, you know, I've learned the most because, you know, I think any good boss, like fundamentally, like that's what you're taught as a kid, you know, do good, be good to others and everything else. So having a good boss, I think sometimes you overlook it, you know, like, I mean, you, you have to really sit down and like, I'm asking you now and you're telling me about, you know, Dennis and what he's done for you. And you're going, yes, you know, he's, but I, I always feel like what I've learned the most from was all the bad ones, you know, because oh, yes. I learned exactly how I did not want to be mm-hmm. and how to, how I didn't want to treat others or whatever. So, yeah. So it, it, it's a funny thing. I tell the guys all the time, you know, so. All right. So what's the best piece of advice you've received? I think best piece of advice is like what I was saying earlier is, you know, being trained as an OIT, um, you know, leaving the place better off than what you found it. You know, if you live by that, and I think that's that's probably the best piece of advice. And the same operator he told me to, and, and this is kind of an additional item that he he, get, he shared with me. And uh, he told me, he says, hey, Jesse, he says, when you come to work every single day, think about the organization you're working for. Think about it as your own business. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, you should look at things as your own organization, your own business. And he says, if you're doing the right thing, would you want to hire 10 of you to run this facility, run that store, right? That grocery store, right? And he used the analogy of, for example, different chain stores, right? You want to run a, a store that has shelves that are not stocked, things like that, or do you want a store, a store that's ran clean and uh, stocked and everything like that? You know, you better sit back and think about it, right? He said, because the answer should be yes, because yeah. if it's not yes, you better think about what you're doing and correct it. Yeah. And I really thought about it and I says, that's true, you know, because, you know, you should really treat everything like it's your own because, I mean, I wouldn't want to run a business with some of the guys that I've seen in the industry before. And, uh, you know, you meet those guys and you're thinking, I would never want hire that guy because some of the things you see whatever right so but i think as long as you kind of look at those words as far as you know would you do that if it was your own place if it was your house would you be doing that yeah. would you be driving that vehicle that way if it was your vehicle if the answer is no then stop doing it yeah you know so but all right jesse was there anything else that you want to add or anything else that you we we didn't talk about or we didn't touch on before we uh end the uh episode no i don't think so i think we pretty much covered everything unless there's something you could think of or yeah no the only the only thing jesse's i i've got to add is that joe's taking pictures so he can use it for our promo when we put it out there Uh on the platforms the funny thing is maybe they're not going to know who is who whose (laughs) one is who you know so we might have to put that title you know the funny thing is for for the listeners out there and, and when you do see the promo i've been approached several times by people here at the district and they've thought that you were me and i was you so mm-hmm. i've i've sat literally in one of our board meetings and sat down just in front of you and i heard somebody come back and compliment you on the podcast and i, I could not stop laughing yeah. so again i know it's it's funny it's a it's a regular occurrence where people mistaking me for you and you for me yeah so no, yeah no it's it's interesting i've had that happen like <laughs> few people and uh, i had um one board member come up and actually the board member tell me uh hey you're you're doing really well on the on the on the on the, on the show and i says what show you know yeah. like, what are you talking about what, what did i do wrong yeah. <laughs> right and yeah. uh 
he explains to me and uh, uh, another another employee here at the district that uh, I've known for quite some time and he's said the same thing and I'm like that's Ruben man that's it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah <laughs> yeah that's funny all right Jesse well thanks a lot again man I really appreciate you doing this and uh, taking the time out of your day and sitting down with me man absolutely yeah thank you for having me all right cool that's the scoop uh, thanks for spending time with us today and remember progress is always under construction.